welcome back to Create Out Loud. I'm Jen Loudon. I'm so happy you're here. I am a national best-selling author. I helped start the self-care movement for women with my first book, The Woman's Comfort Book. I am a content and writing coach, and I like to think of myself as a story wrangler. I'm also clearly a podcast host. This is the end of the second season of Create Out Loud. It has been such a fun illuminating project. And yes, we expect to come back for a third season, but here's what I need. I need you to know if you want me to, and there's two ways to tell me. Share this episode so that we see that downloads and or streaming goes up, or give us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm going to take the summer off. I'm going to be doing some traveling and some thinking about what I want the next few years to look like. I'd love the podcast to be part of it, but I'd love to know what you want. And you can tell me in one of those reviews on Apple. I read them. Or you can always shoot me an email to jen at jenniferlowden.com. I so appreciate your help so far. It means the world to me. And I hope you've gotten as much value out of this podcast as I have. This week, we're going to talk about the best create out loud tools that I know. I feel like we give you tools every week, but when I was thinking about the final episode that I wanted to go out on, I thought, well, let me share some of the things I share in my programs and on my retreats and in my one-on-one coaching with people around finding the shape and essence of their message and stories. And a lot of the things that I do to help people neurobiologically, on a body and brain level, get out of their own way. Sound good? Let's get into it. Thought number one on how to create out loud. You have to give yourself permission to be seen. If there's one thing that I have struggled with and that I've seen many of my clients and students struggle with is the fear of being judged, ridiculed, misunderstood, And of course, there's real fear out there if you're someone who identifies as a woman or a marginalized population that there are terrible, terrible trolls online. But in general, for most of us, it seems to be a little less specific than talking about something online that's going to get us trolled and more about owning our own message, our own voice, our own point of view, our own way of making art in whatever form or forms you make it. And being willing to say, it's okay if you see me. It's okay if you know that this is my taste. How do you get more comfortable with that? My experience is it's finding the sweet middle between a couple of different things, the Venn diagram, the sweet spot. What are my goals, my desires with my art? Do I really know them? Am I willing to own them? That gives us a lot of drive and courage that willpower can't. Second, who do I want to impact? or delight, or entertain, or make their lives more beautiful or more meaningful. When I teach writing, I use a Peter Elbow quote that is about writing fails more often, and I'm paraphrasing now, because we fail to give ourselves wholeheartedly and generously on the page. We hold back thinking we don't know enough, or we got to keep this back for later. And that, more than talent or skill, is what we have to overcome as writers, to really stretch to connect generously. That's one of my terms. And I think that's true in all art. We are giving people, artists, creatives, writers, creative entrepreneurs, anybody listening to this, you have a spirit of wanting to make the world a better place. That is another place to tap into when you want to hide. And the third thing is the quantity over quality. You've heard it probably if you read Art and Fear by David Bales and Ted Orland, a great creativity book, Art and Fear. 
The story in the book is about ceramicists, but the real story was based on the photography teacher at my first alma mater, the University of Florida, Jerry Goolsman. And you would know his work if you saw it. He was very surreal. He was one of the first photographers to really understand how to use the dark room to manipulate images that looked like a castle floating in the middle of a lake. So the experiment Jerry did was to divide the class and half the class was going to be judged on quantity alone. They could make up to 100 photos. If they made 100 photos, they would get 100%. The other half the class only had to produce one photo and they would be judged upon it. And supposedly Jerry was astonished that the part of the class that did the quantity up to 100 photos produced much better work than the part of the class that just did one photo. Therefore, the third part of this sweet spot is quantity. Don't make your work precious. I've done it. I had a 10-year period where no book The idea that I had was good enough. I wrote book after book and threw them away, either the book proposal or half a book proposal, or sometimes an entire manuscript. I forgot to just make it another book. Yes, to care, yes, to craft, yes, to grow, but also to be like, it's just another book. Here we go. Until I wrote Why Bother, discovered the desire for what's next. We all have fallow periods. We all have ideas that die, but there's a difference between that that you can usually distinguish between making your work super precious and it has to be the best thing. It has to be better than, this really happens to those of you who've had success, has to be better than what I've created before and work that just, you know, sometimes falls apart or you lose the desire for it or it's just not what you thought it was. And yeah, it's messy and hard, but I find that these three together, this stretch to connect generously to your person, equally important, equally important. What are my desires? What are my goals? Am I really being honest with myself? Am I taking the time to know the vulnerability of desire? And third, am I making a lot of work? Am I making it not precious? Is it chop wood, carry water? Tip number two is what I call leave breadcrumbs. Don't leave your work at a hard stop, at a cold trail, at the end of a cliff. You don't know when you'll go back to the studio or the manuscript or the business plan. You just don't know because life intervenes, shit happens. Always leave yourself breadcrumbs, even if you think you're coming back in an hour. What do I mean by breadcrumbs? A place to start again, an idea, an image, a possibility. Now, I'm mostly a writer, so I will write down what might I write about next? The idea, the image, the piece of dialogue. If I, like when I was writing my memoir, you know, I'm right about when mom's face crumpled after I told her. It only has to make sense to you. Make sure it makes sense to you, though, because if it is weeks before you go back to your work, You could write a note to yourself in your sketchbook about what colors you might want to try next in the next piece or what mark you might want to make. It doesn't mean you're committing to doing it. It is just bringing down the uncertainty, which is such a huge part of the creative process and so doggone hard for our little human brains. Our human brains hate uncertainty. You sure know that after however long we've been in this pandemic uncertainty, right? You're sick of it. How many times have you said to someone, I am so over this? Maybe you haven't. I certainly have. We don't like uncertainty. We like being able to know. So part of our work to create out loud is to find ways to be comfortable with uncertainty and to make it feel less big, unknown, and scary. Breadcrumbs is one way to do that. Now I'm going to tell you, When I'm working with my writers in all my different programs and all my different ways, they love it, they love doing it, and they forget to do it. So you might have to remind yourself, you might have to set a timer, and when it goes off and you're ready to be done with your creative session for that day, you know that that sound that you chose 
remind you to do breadcrumbs, or you might have to do post-it notes, or you know, text a friend when you're done with a creative session. You, you always text each other back, did you do breadcrumbs, until it becomes a habit. And then you'll forget, and you can start it again. Number three is question consistency. Sometimes consistency is a beautiful habit that sustains you through dry times and scary times and really helps with uncertainty. That might be having a daily practice or a weekly studio date with friends, a weekly co-working session to work on your businesses, to do outreach, that kind of thing. If that's working for you, fantastic. But one of the things I notice, especially for people who identify as women, is consistency is difficult because we are often in a very fluid state of caring for others, children, elders, pets, farms, you name it. Yes, some of my listeners take care of farms and ranches and cool stuff like that. So, hey, saying hi to you out there. So consistency can become a way that we feel like we're failing ourselves. It can become a bar that becomes very hard to reach, very set in stone. One of the things I tell people when I'm working with them is my day is different every day. And so when I'm going to write is different every day. But I decide the day before what is truly possible given my life. Instead of hating my life, fighting reality. And that doesn't mean that there's not times that I go, whoa, this isn't working. I got to change things or there's the, I have too many commitments and there's not enough time for my creativity. But it's a check-in process that then allows you to adjust things, which is very different, my friends, than when it's like, if I don't do this in this very rigid way, I failed. What the research shows is when we do that to ourselves, when we have too high or too rigid of an expectation for something like creativity, exercise, food, we will fall apart. It won't keep going because life happens, especially these days, right? And then we don't go back to it. We don't begin again because we feel so bad that we didn't keep up that rigid, intense schedule. Much better to lower the bar and really be realistic about what you can do and where it's going to fit and be precise in your own way. After I drop off the kids, when I get back home from work, I will. And repeat that, make a commitment to it. And drop it when you can't and drop it wholeheartedly. Don't hold it over your head. Related to this is what I said earlier. Desire is much more motivating than willpower. Now, habits are great, but desire is the fuel behind habits. Owning our desires is a huge part of creating out loud. It's a huge part of all of the work that I do. And again, it can be so hard for those of us who identify as women, who have suffered trauma, who have been or are in marginalized, you know, populations. I get it. It's hard for me to own mine, but it is a lifetime, deeply creative practice, a spiritual practice. And along with that is a very specific tool, which is to say to yourself, I embrace freedom, not shoulds. I give myself the freedom to create today, to write today. I give myself the space to choose when do I want to do it? For how long do I want to do it? What do I really want to do? This helps us remember our desire, our love. And we go back to tip number one. I get to create. I get to write. Let that choice and that desire infuse you with perhaps a flexible sense of habits and commitments that are clear. I mean, I'm all about clear commitment. I think it's really draining to walk around all day saying, I'm going to create today and not have a plan for when it's actually going to fit. So don't do that to yourself. Say it out loud. Thought number four, forget talent. Talent is lovely. I hope you have lots of it. I have very little of it. But what I found is that talent colludes with the part of us that wants to hide, that wants to say, well, I'm not talented enough. Talent colludes with a fixed mindset. This is all I got. I can't learn. I can't grow. That's utter poo-poo. We can always learn and grow in ways we can't even imagine. 
And every time we say, "Uh uh-uh, this is all I got. I don't have talent. I'm not talented at that. We're hiding. We're colluding with the part of ourselves that wants to stay in the shadows. And we can take care of that part of ourselves. We can love it and accept it. We never want to shame it. But we also don't want to let the story of talent, which is such a misogynistic, patriarchal, controlling, capitalistic story, own our creativity. Because then we are denying the call of our soul. Are you saying, Jen, that everybody makes beautiful art or amazing writing and everybody should make a living at it? No, there's all kinds of market forces and millions of realistic things that we have to work with if we do want to make a living with our art or creativity or writing. Sure, you have to face into those. You have to learn them. But it's so different to face into them and learn them when you are not tied up with questions of talent. Create out loud thought number five, how weird can you be? Or as the poet Maggie Smith said in the first season of this podcast, make it weirder. She was talking about her process of revising. And I took that so to heart because one of the things I think makes it difficult for us to create out loud is if we think we have to be someone different than we are or produce something different so that we can get attention, get sales, fit in, get the jury show, get the publishing deal, whatever, again, your medium. I'm not saying those restrictions and market pressures don't exist, but I really believe, and you may not, but I really believe that the more we can be ourselves, the more we can really dig into what's my style, what's my way of doing things, what's my voice, what am I interested in, and pay close attention to it, not thinking it needs to be important or lofty or small and simple. And Lisa Cogden talked about that this season in her episode. Maybe you just love the color salmon. Maybe you love the shape and architecture of trees. And you're like, well, that's not important. I can't do that. I can't do anything with that. Oh, no. That's where we have to pay close attention. We never know where our inklings, our stirrings, our obsessions, our minor interests are going to take us. But I promise you, if you ignore them, if you tamp them out, and if you're always trying to just be what everybody else needs you to be, and sometimes this can be really subtle. For me, it has been a giant struggle in my creative life. Because my first book, The Woman's Comfort Book, was so popular, I created all of these stories about who I needed to be. And yes, I did a lot more good work, and I helped hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people cool. And it was work I believed in. It was truthful. But there was often a feeling that I was pretending. Not so much imposter syndrome, but just like pretending to be somebody I wasn't because that's what people need to be. And if I just questioned that story, pushed up about it, got more curious about it, I don't think my work would have been very different, but I think how I carried it and how it gave back to me energetically would be really different. So I'm on the mission, maybe you aren't, but I'm on a mission to be as fully myself as I can. And for me, I like to think of make it weirder or (laughs) keep it weird or how weird can it be just as a reminder. Maybe you'll come up with a different mantra or reminder. Create out loud. Last thought, you are not your work. You could also call it don't take it personally. This is also a huge struggle for me. But one of the reasons I think we don't create out loud, that we don't share our work, that we don't take risks, that we don't try new things is because we think silence, crickets, rejection means something about our identity. 
not just the way our brains work. Our brain is constantly making some sense of self that is not real. If you've ever meditated, you know the sense of self is quite fluid, but it's constantly making an identity that says, okay, all right, if you do this and it works well, then you're okay, you are safe, you're enough. And this, of course, it's exacerbated maybe by your personal history, your personal experiences. I'm not saying it's not tough to get crickets or get rejected. It is, but it's so much easier when you realize it says nothing about who I am as a person in my basic goodness and kindness. And therefore, I think it's really important to have some kind of contemplative or meditative practice. Even if you're not someone who likes to sit still, to explore different kinds of ways of realizing you are not your thoughts, you are not your work, and that your identity is constantly changing and completely fluid. Sometimes when I'm struggling with this, I'll just sit here and meditate right at my desk and I'll do a form of meditation that is called open awareness. And the best quickest way to describe that is everything floats by all the thoughts, all the emotions, all the why can't this be different? And you imagine that it is just floating by like you're watching a fish tank. Or sometimes I'll imagine that I am in the ocean and I am the water and this is all the stuff that comes through me. We don't disassociate from it. So the feelings come through, you feel them, but you don't become them. You don't identify with them because if you're the ocean, you can't also be the fish. The other thing that can be really useful for remembering you or not your work is journaling. Because I am not my work. And let your hand go for three or four minutes. Fill two pages. That will bring on more of a sense of distance and executive function in your brain. There you have it. Hope you found those useful to create out loud your way. Because here's what I care about. Here's what I care about for me, for the people I work with, for you. With all my heart that we do not come to the end of our lives and have that regret, that top regret of the dying that Bonnie Ware reported. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I certainly want that to be true for all of us when it comes to our creative work, our creative expression, our creative practices. If you need support to create out loud, please consider joining the Oasis. It is my monthly membership. You can just try it for a month, easy to unsubscribe. And I create really amazing fresh video and a short, fresh audio, about a 30 minute meditative, breathing, journaling, checking in experience for you every week, all about doing two things, making your creativity, your self-care, your health, your soul a priority, and then breaking it down into really practical ways how you're going to do it that week. It's not a program. There's never any behind. It's a checking in and a refueling. So check that out, jenniferloudon.com. And if you just go to uh, my website, you'll see the information for the Oasis. Love to have you. Love to be able to support you over this time when the podcast will not be happening. We'll be back in the fall. God willing in the creek don't rise, as grandma used to say. And I'd love to hear from you and be connected in the meantime. Please take care. And most of all, please, please create out loud. <laughs>